In Japanese folklore, yokai are the spirits, demons, and monsters that haunt our world, taking the form of plants, animals, objects, humans, or natural phenomenon. These yokai usually possess spiritual or supernatural abilities. Akaname is a yokai in the form of a clawed, childlike creature. The name Akaname means filth liquor, as it lives in and consumes bathroom and bathtub filth. It poses no harm to humans and acts only as a reminder to keep one's life, soul, and bathroom clean. Teki Teki is a yokai appearing as the ghost of a young schoolgirl, severed at the waist by a train, said to have fallen onto the tracks of the Meishin Expressway. The apparition now drags her bloody torso by the elbows or hands, the sound of her nails clicking, Teki Teki, giving her her name. As an onryo, or vengeful spirit, she is often encountered around train stations at night. If spotted, she will chase you, slicing you in half with a scythe. Though in the end, yokai may be a product of the imagination, there once lived an evil that, like the yokai, came in many shapes and forms, a monster that haunted Japan from 1984 to 1985, and was very real. This is The Monster with 21 Faces. Episode 1, We Are Holding a Hostage. Listener discretion is advised. Sunday, March 18th, 1984, Yoko Prefecture, Ashia City, in one of the top luxury residential areas in Japan, lives 42-year-old Katsuhisa Izaki, president of Japanese food company Izaki Glico, maker of the widely popular treat, Paki. In the quiet area 300 meters north of the Japan Railway Koshinguchi Station in Nishinomiya City, up a winding slope that rises to a small hill, is the site of the 650 square meter Izaki residence. Lit by the light of a mercury lamp, it is surrounded on all four sides by an 11 foot high brick wall with iron doors. The property includes the home of Katsuhisa's 70 year old mother, Yoshi, and his own two story western style mansion, which he shares with his wife Mikiko, 35 years old, and their three young children. Following completion of their newly built house just over a year prior, the construction supervisor gave two keys to the Izaki family on December 11, 1982. Katsuhisa kept one key in his own home, used only by himself, Mikiko, and a maid. Installed in his home was a high-tech CECOM security system monitoring all windows and doors. The second key to Katsuhisa Izaki's residence went to his mother next door. This home had no alarm system installed. On the night of March 18, 1984, rain fell on two masked men as they scaled the brick wall with the use of a stepladder that was left in the front against a high hedge on the east side of the property. In the road to the north, a third masked man drives slowly in a red two-door car, awaiting the return of his partners in crime. Through the garden, the men, who are carrying a rifle and a handgun, approach the front of the home of the elderly mother, Yoshi, 
who was located in her living room in the rear of the home watching the television show Shinyumichiyo Niki. The gum tape was applied to the glass pane of the front door. A torch was used to break the pane with heat, allowing for it to be pushed in silently. The telephone line was then cut with a knife. Having tied Yoshi up with the phone's cord and silencing her with a piece of tape over her mouth as well as her eyes, the two masked men located the key to her son's home in a living room cupboard. Departing Yoshi's, left behind in the corridor, were two types of shoe print traces by cheap jogging shoes manufactured by Tajima Kasai Industrial Company and Solar Rubber Industry. As they moved between homes, the men disconnected the power to a pair of 40-watt Yukimi lanterns used to illuminate the yard. Having recently returned home from the wedding ceremony of the son of another confectionery wholesaler president at the Kyoto International Hotel, Katsuhisa Izaki bathed on the second floor with his youngest daughter, Yukiko, four years old, and his only son, Atsuro, eleven years old. Also on the second floor, in the master bedroom, wife, Mikiko, and oldest daughter, seven-year-old Mariko, were also watching the television program Shinyumichiyo Niki together. Using the stolen key, the armed and masked men entered the home undetected through the front door. Quickly making their way to the second floor, they confronted Mikiko and Mariko, who screamed out in surprise. The masked man with the handgun responded, Be quiet, Mariko. Offering money in exchange for their safety, Mikiko was rejected by the man with the rifle, who told her in a low voice, Be quiet. Money is irrelevant. Mother and daughter then had their mouths and eyes covered and hands restrained behind them with red tape. They were left in the bathroom attached to the master bedroom. The men blocked the door with a metal shelf and a garbage can. The bedroom phone cord was then cut with a knife. Recalled by the victims, playing on the television show at the moment of their capture, ironically, was a scene where someone was bathing. Across the second floor, in another bathroom, the masked men found their target. Be quiet, do not make a noise the man with the rifle said in his low voice as he stuck the barrel of the weapon into Katsuhisa's chest. Etsoro and Yukiko screamed in fear, and the masked man told them, Quiet, or I will shoot. As their father was escorted from the bathroom, the children were left with the warning, Do not get out of the bath. Katsuhisa was taken to his children's bedroom, where he was allowed to wrap himself in a towel before being handcuffed. At this time, a portion of the CECOM alarm system began alerting, having detected the cut phone line. Hurry, do it quickly, one criminal said to the other. Putting up a struggle and losing his towel in the process, Katsuhisa was taken from his home, out to the street, where he watched a red car pull up to him. Katsuhisa Izaki was placed in the back seat and driven away. At approximately 9.36 p.m., 30 minutes from the time her mother-in-law's home was broken into, and 6 minutes from the time of her husband's abduction, Mikiko Izaki breaks free from her tape binding by rubbing her wrists against a bathroom wall corner. After escaping the bathroom, Mikiko retrieved a pair of scissors from a bedroom table to free her daughter. She then attempted to use the bedroom phone, finding no dial tone, only silence. She cautiously descended to the first floor and called police, using the dining room telephone, which was still operational. 
Mikiko contacted Hyogo Prefectural Police and Masamichi Izaki, Vice President of Glico Nutrition and younger brother of Katsuhisa, who immediately hopped on a bicycle for the 11-minute ride to the Izaki compound to tend to his distraught family. At 9.38 p.m., daughter Mariko pressed an emergency warning button, contacting CECOM and sounding an additional alarm, prompting security dispatch to contact the Izaki home. Having still not discovered that Katsuhisa was missing, Mikiko alerted the Hyogo police to a break-in and burglary. Mikiko then returned to the second floor, where she found her other two children, frightened and alone. It was now that she realized the intentions of the masked men. The first investigator to arrive on scene did not know how to enter the large Izaki residence, and was forced to climb the wall to get inside. The investigator then learned of the missing man, Katsuhisa, and of his mother, Yoshi, who was also found and freed from her bindings with the help of her son, Masamichi, who had arrived by this time. After the initial confusion, investigators switched the charges to kidnapping with the arrival of more officers to the scene. The stolen Izaki house key was found left in the keyhole of the front door. Nishino Mia and Hyogo Prefectural Police deployed additional emergency resources after 10 p.m. Being close to the border, Osaka Prefectural Police were contacted as well, as it was likely the criminals had fled east into Osaka. However, by that time, it had been over an hour since the abduction, and there were no witnesses around the Izaki residence who could provide any further information. Nishinomiya and Osaka police stationed officers in a wide deployment of checkpoints and instructed them to check car trunks thoroughly. At this point, 163 investigators were now involved in the search for the abducted Glico president, Katsuhisa Izaki. At 1.15 a.m. on March 19, 1984, 30 kilometers northeast from the Izaki residence in Takatsuki, at the home of Glico Director of Human Resources, Fujihiro Taki, the phone rings. It is several hours after the abduction of his company president when Fujihiro Taki is awoken by the phone call. When he answers, he hears a man's voice speak. Hello? The voice seems to be a recording played back into the phone's receiver for him to hear. The voice on the phone says, Look at the telephone directory in the public telephone box in Takatsuki just above three Shomei. The calling phone then disconnects, leaving Fuji to the task. Unaware of Katsuhisa Izaki's abduction, Fuji Hirotaki later stated that the voice recording sounded like President Izaki himself. Fuji Hirotaki then goes for a walk in the rain. Wearing a poncho and carrying an umbrella, he arrives at his destination at 1.40 a.m. In the telephone box in Mikami, Takatsuki, Osaka Prefecture, he finds a brown tea envelope sandwiched between telephone directory books. Inside is a letter reading, I am holding a hostage. Prepare one billion yen in cash and 100 kilograms of gold and put it in a white or ivory-like car in front of the head of Department Fuji's house in Takatsuki and leave it there. Put only a skilled driver in at Hokuitsu Road and I will call you on Fuji's home number. You can only let this be known to the bank's manager, company's driver, Kaniko, and Fuji. 
tell anything to the police, I will definitely kill the hostage. I have friends at the police. Nippon Telegraph and Telephone Public Corporation. And I will know immediately if you try to trace me. We are watching Fuji's house and the company. Prepare a roadmap of the Kansai. A map of Takatsuki. A blank memo notepad and something to write with. Don't try to trick me with cash or gold. Wireless microphones, wireless radios are pointless. If you use a detective for the driver, we will know. Don't try to trace me. It is pointless. Do not speak. Only write. We will conduct a scientific research for 24 hours. Do not use new banknotes. I won't negotiate. Just listen to what I say. Mentioned in the letter directly are Glico HR Director Fujihiro Taki and Glico Managing Director Tetsuo Kaneko. Horrified, Fuji immediately contacted the police. Now both involved in an abduction investigation, Hyogo Prefectural Police Director Takeshi Yoshino set the charges at kidnapping for the purpose of ransom and established an investigation headquarters in Ibaraki Station with the neighboring Osaka Police Director Osamu Shikata. As the ransom letter was found, reporters and neighbors, still dressed in their sleepwear, crowded the street in front of the Izaki residence. Newspapers printed articles for their morning editions, and the incident was beginning to be reported on television and radio broadcasts. It was too late to contain the information that had spread so far, but to protect the victim and further operation secrecy, an agreement for media silence was sought, and Hyogo Prefecture's chief executive detective, Kinari Masuda, began talks with public relations managers at 3 o'clock a.m. on the 19th. At 7.30 a.m., after discussions and much reluctance, branch directors of newspaper companies signed the press agreement, and for now, no additional information on the case would be reported. Read in full, however, an article published on March 19, 1984, reads, Headline, Abduction of Businessman Alarms Japanese. A wealthy Japanese industrialist was kidnapped Sunday in the first abduction of a prominent businessman in recent memory. The incident baffled many Japanese and left some worried about Western-style crime breaking out in their country. The kidnapping victim was Katsuhisi Izaki, president of a major candy company, who was reported to have been abducted by two gunmen from his home near Osaka Sunday night. A ransom note demanding the equivalent of $4.5 million in cash and gold bullion was found later in an Osaka telephone booth. Details of the incident and the investigation were sketchy because, after reporting the case in their early editions, Japanese newspapers and television stations complied with the police request for a news blackout. But enough information had been made public by this morning to trouble Japanese businessmen who are not accustomed to the elaborate personal security measures that have become routine for the wealthy in the United States and Europe. Quote, I know cases of this kind happen overseas, Susumu Furukawa, president of the Osaka Chamber of Commerce and Industries, told Japanese reporters. Quote, it could not happen in Japan. Hiroshi Morishida, vice president of Kansai Kaidaran, an Osaka area business group, said, quote, if it was Italy, I might not be so surprised. But you know, in Japan, such a kidnapping is beyond my imagination. 
Although the abduction of nationally prominent business figures is virtually unheard of here, the kidnappings of youngsters has begun to occur with increasing regularity. According to a study last month by the newspaper Asahi, 122 kidnappings had been reported in Japan since the end of World War II. At least 60 occurred in the last 10 years. Of the 122 cases, 72 involved children of elementary school age or younger. 24 of them were killed, including the latest victim, an 8-year-old boy found strangled last month in the western Japanese city of Fukuyama. Izaki Glico Company, an Osaka-based concern that produces chocolates, caramels, ice cream, and instant curry, reported sales last year of $540 million. The ransom note found in Osaka was said to have ordered that the money be delivered by 5 p.m. today, but because of the news blackout, it is not known what actually happened. Quote, we have the hostage, a Japanese newspaper quoted the note as saying, quote, don't inform the police, the hostage will be returned if you pay. Normally, kidnappings are not made public in Japan until after arrests are made and the victims either return safely or found dead. The exception in this case seems to have resulted from initial confusion over whether an abduction or a routine robbery had taken place. In the close relationship that exists here between press organizations and the authorities, newspapers agreed to stop their coverage when it became clear that there had been a kidnapping. The Izaki case was given the main display in every newspaper this morning. By this evening's editions, it was nowhere to be found. Many suspected that a daring and experienced European criminal group was responsible, as high-profile cases of kidnapping and ransom had become more common recently in Europe. The previous November, the Netherlands saw the abduction of the chairman of the beer company, Heineken, while on his way home. An armed three-man team demanded a ransom of 9 billion yen. After three weeks, the men were arrested, and the chairman was rescued, unharmed. On March 19th, the price of Izaki Glico stock, which was 750 yen at the Tokyo Stock Exchange, fell to 630 yen. Investigators examined Glico headquarters, subsidiaries, and subcontractors, looking for suspicious employees, past and present, numbering about 1,700 people. Of interest to investigators is possible motive from anyone who may have been affected by labor disputes or were dismissed or forced to retire after company mergers in the past. It would appear there are more potential enemies of Glico and its president, Katsuhisa Izaki, than expected. The actions and motives of the men who took Katsuhisa Izaki were heavily debated. How had the criminals known about the security system in Katsuhisa's home? and the lack of one, and the presence of a key at his mother's home. Was it an employee of the alarm company? At the Izaki residence in Yoshinomiya, with a home full of investigators, not eating, and locked up with her children in their second floor bedroom, wife, Mikiko, waits by the phone, terrified. Had the criminals been in her home before? Mikiko told investigators that two days before the abduction, she had noticed the Yukimi lanterns in the backyard had turned off from 10 to 11 p.m. These lanterns covered the rock and tree garden near an enclosed pond at the south end of the property. From this location, it would be possible to observe the interior of both homes. On the day of the abduction, daughter Mariko came home from a friend's birthday party at around 5.30 p.m. and witnessed a red car at an intersection 100 meters east of her home. A second sighting that same day was made by Sanetsuro, who came home from extra schooling at 7.30pm and also saw an unfamiliar red car in front of his home. 
the car was identified as either a red Mitsubishi Galat Lambda or a red 2000 Nissan Skyline. Nearly two years prior, on May 5, 1982, the Izakis had a large social gathering at the site of their unfinished, under-construction house. December 8th, that same year, the key was needed by movers to bring in the furniture. Days later, on December 11th, the house was completed and Katsuhisa came into possession of two keys. Investigators gathered a list of people with knowledge of the inside of the Izaki property. Of the 640 names gathered, 111 of them were Izaki family members, 177 friends of the family, 208 construction workers and contractors, and 14 housekeepers. At a market price of about 300 million yen, 100 kilograms of gold is a difficult amount to gather, and Glico never discussed who its supplier was. It was a question whether the gold came from within the company or the Izaki family itself, and whether or not the criminal group had somehow known about it, requesting it specifically. As for the cash, it was quite the task to collect 1 billion yen in all old bills. 1 billion yen and 100 kilograms of gold is a ransom large in both cost and physical quantity, yet Katsuhisa's colleagues at Glico were able to amass the sum by the following evening. Bugged with tracking devices and documented for identification purposes, the ransom was placed in a light van which was driven to the Takatsuki home of Fujihiro Taki at 5pm on the 19th, where it was parked outside. At 6.09pm, the phone rings and Fuji answers with investigators listening in on the call. There is only silence on the other end. The call is traced to a public phone in front of a coffee shop in the same municipal ward, Kyobashi, Osaka. At 6.24pm, the phone rings again and Fuji answers. A taped recording of Katsuhisa Izaki is heard, choppy and at low volume. It is played repeatedly into the receiver for one minute. This call came in the same way five separate times over the next hour. Get either Fuji or Kaneko in the car. Go to Takatsuki. Wait at the restaurant Kodobuki for my call. Driver waits in the car. Another person enters the restaurant. Kodobuki is being watched from both inside and outside. Prepare notes and wait by the phone. I will call Nakamura. From now on, your names are Nakamura. This call was traced to a public phone in front of Okonomiyaki, Higashinoda, Frishome, in Miyakojima, Osaka Prefecture, near the Osaka Police Headquarters. There was no doubt with investigators that someone in the criminal group was located in the direction of Kyobashi. Fujihiro Taki then traveled in the vehicle with the money to the restaurant Kodobuki, where he waited inside at 7.30 p.m. At 8.52 p.m., a phone call came into the restaurant, saying, President Izaki is in a hospital in Setsu. Despite this call, Katsuhisa Izaki did not turn up in any Osaka hospitals. No other phone calls were received, and investigators were forced to end the operation. The next morning, on March 20th, 1984, Hyogo Prefectural Police announced a description of the suspects who abducted Katsuhisa Izaki, based on eyewitness reports. Suspect A is described as approximately 170 centimeters tall. He wore a white mask, white gloves, dark clothes, dark shoes. He had a low voice and carried a rifle that looked to be made of plastic. Suspect A is thought to be the leader. 
Suspect B is described as approximately 160 centimeters tall, medium build, about 35 years old. He wore a white mask with one opening for both eyes and a mouth opening, white gloves, dark clothes, and dark shoes with no laces. He carried a handgun. Mikiko Izaki reported that Suspect B wore a resemblance to actor Takuzo Kawatani. Suspect C is the driver of the vehicle used to transport Mr. Izaki from his home. He is described as approximately 165 centimeters tall, about 20 years old. He wore a black mask and had acne. Going back to the night of the abduction on March 18th, Katsuhisa Izaki stated that the passenger seat of the two-door red car was leaned forward in anticipation of his arrival. Katsuhisa tried to resist getting in the car by twisting his body, but was pushed into the rear seat by the criminals. Criminal B, who carried a handgun, got into the back seat, and Katsuhisa was pushed down over his knees. A big gray cloth was put over his head. Get down. I will kill you if you make a noise, threatened Criminal A, the abductor with the rifle. Blinded and handcuffed in the rear seat of his abductor's vehicle, Katsuhisa heard a woman's voice synthesized by a computer at the expressway toll gate. It's 700 yen, thank you very much. Calculated back from the 700 yen tollway, the red vehicle will have come to the Meishin Expressway from the Nishinomiya Interchange. From there to the Suida Interchange, they will have reached the Water Defense Warehouse in the southern part of Ibaraki City in Osaka Prefecture. After the Hyogo Prefectural Police were contacted by the alarm company, the criminal group would have had difficulty traveling in and out of the area on main roads, such as Hanshin, Meishin, and national highways. Because of these facts, it is believed that the abductors and Katsuhisa Izaki had already arrived at the Yodogawa Coastal Water Defense Association warehouse by 10 o'clock p.m. The two-story block building, covered in tin plate, completed in December 1968, is located on the left bank of the Ai River. Across a canal, running parallel, lies the Osaka Cargo Terminal Station. Few local residents know about or ever pass near the warehouse. The head of the 11th Flood Control Group managing the building said it contains sandbags, ropes, and other supplies in preparation for a flood. There have been no disasters, and it is considered a vacuum ground. As a result, flood control workers don't often visit the facility, the manager stating he had only been there once himself, but never after its construction was complete. After leaving the highway and driving for a short time, Katsuhisa felt the car stop and turn off. Criminals A and B exited the car. Katsuhisa then heard the trunk opening. After about five minutes passed, the two returned and the car started again. Upon arrival at the warehouse, Katsuhisa yelled for help and had his mouth covered by Criminal B with a piece of tape. He was covered completely in a large body-length bag and felt who he thought were Criminals A and B escort him into the warehouse where he heard the door close behind him. The handcuffs were then removed. From the first floor to the second floor was a thin wooden ladder. Katsuhisa was confined to the second floor, which is about 50 square meters in size. After being taken up the ladder, the bag was removed by Criminal A, and a white ski hat with a gold, green, and pink stripe was placed over Katsuhisa's head and eyes. The criminals took Polaroid photos of the company president naked, then dressed him in a black overcoat and re-handcuffed him. 
Criminal A told Katsuhisa that they took his daughter Mariko to another building, and if the gold and money are delivered by his company, they will bring him and his daughter home. Katsuhisa said that Criminal A lit up some text typed on whitish paper with a flashlight. A microcassette recorder was placed in front of him, and Katsuhisa was forced to read the text aloud repeatedly. This was the phone message that sent police to the Kotobuki restaurant, where nothing ultimately happened. This voice recording will become a common fixture sent along with letters from the criminal group. On the evening of the 19th, as a cold storm beat raindrops violently on the tin roof, Katsuhisa was left with suspect C, the driver, as the other two criminals left the warehouse. This is believed to fall around the 6.24pm time frame in which the criminals contacted Fujihiro Taki to play the taped message, resulting in their call being traced. Criminal C gave Katsuhisa canned coffee, juice, two pieces of sweet buns, and biscuits from the chain store, Daie. When he needed to relieve himself, Katsuhisa was given a wooden box. He was forced to use his remaining canned coffee to clean up. Katsuhisa was then blinded with the ski hat and had his mouth covered with red tape. His legs were bound with a vinyl rope. His hands were cuffed behind his back until he made a plea to Criminal C that they hurt. The criminal gave in and placed the cuffs in Katsuhisa's front. Each time a nearby bullet train passed with great speed, the roaring sound rocked and rattled the tin roof. Katsuhisa waited, terrified through the night. At around 1 p.m. on the 20th, a receipt from the 4th Register on the first floor of the Super Izumiya and Shobo store in Hirakata City, Osaka Prefecture, confirmed the purchase of a set of clothes placed on Katsuhisa that same day. This Super Izumiya store is located in front of the Keihan Electric Rail, located within the Hokuetsu region of Osaka, where Ibaraki, Setsu, Miyagawa, and the Flood Control Warehouse are located. It is likely that someone in the criminal group resides in this area. Criminal A took out new white underwear from a black cloth bag, a pair of blue pants which are made in Vietnam, and a white short-sleeved shirt. After putting these items on Katsuhisa, Criminal A instructed Criminal C to remove the handcuffs and bind his hands and legs behind his back with a white rope. Katsuhisa stated that the binding of the rope was not done very tight. At about 10 p.m. on the 20th, only Criminal A appeared in the warehouse. At the same time, witness information from the rail yard is that a whitish Nissan Laurel was stopped for a long time on the road before the Ai River embankment. Criminal A taunted Katsuhisa, stating that he had been playing dolls with his daughter, Mariko, and that his friends were watching from a car outside. Do not try to escape, or I will kill her instead. Criminal A left the warehouse, but returned once more to have Katsuhisa speak into the voice recorder that he would be killed if the money wasn't handed over. Criminal A left the warehouse once again. Katsuhisa felt it was a trap, but this was the last time he saw the criminal group. Also on this day, TV news broadcasted the resolution of another abduction case that happened on the 17th, one day prior to Katsuhisa Izaki's abduction. A company employee in Kusatsu City, Shiga Prefecture, was abducted and confined to a housing complex in Takahata, but after four days was recovered at a coffee shop in Kyoto, with the abductor also being captured. The housing complex where the employee was confined was just seven kilometers northeast of the flood control warehouse where Katsuhisi Izaki was held. 
As a result, a news helicopter and police cars patrolled the area on the afternoon of the 20th, likely putting pressure on the criminals who abducted Katsuhisa and contributing to them abandoning their valuable hostage. After having been left alone in the water defense warehouse for 15 hours, Katsuhisa managed to remove his loose bindings by himself at around 2 p.m. on Sunday, the 21st of March. There are two entrances to the water defense warehouse, one on the east side and one on the north side of the first floor. Katsuhisa was brought into the warehouse through the iron door on the east side. A new padlock was attached to this door for use by the criminals. The iron door on the north side was not locked from the outside. Instead, it has a structure in which two steel doors open to the left and right along a rail. A clasp with a hole was attached to the inside center of the inside of the two doors, and a bolt with a diameter of 1 6th centimeter and a length of 50 centimeters passed through the hole, where it was tightened with a nut. Katsuhisa did not know that this door existed. In the dark, he kicked every wall and corner until he found light leaking through and realized there was a door made to look like the wall from the inside. The nut and bolt were corroded, but as he kicked the door, the nut relaxed, allowing him to take it off. The nut and bolt would later be taken into evidence, along with Katsuhisa's juice cans. Katsuhisa descended down the riverbank in heavy rainfall. In addition to his new clothes and his previous black, mud-covered overcoat and ski hat, he still had a piece of white rope around his right wrist. His right cheek had been scratched, but he had no idea when it happened. Stumbling, cold and afraid, with no socks or shoes, Katsuhisa crossed a small bridge over the Ai River and walked onto the tracks where he was discovered by the staff of the Japan National Railway Osaka Carrier Station Transport Headquarters. The transport station staff initially thought Katsuhisa was a drug addict before placing him in a truck and driving him another 300 meters to reach a phone, calling police for him at 2.22 p.m. Speaking fast and frantically, Osaka police dispatchers initially thought the call from Katsuhisa himself was a prank. An investigator working on the case took the call and spoke to Katsuhisa, now confident the identification was positive. A police car arrived and made contact with Katsuhisa, who had been drinking several cups of water to rehydrate after his ordeal. Additionally, Katsuhisa was relieved to call home at 2.48 p.m., where he discovered his daughter was not only home, but his entire family was left unharmed. About an hour before his escape, a call came into Fujihiro Taki's home phone, playing the final recorded message from Katsuhisa while captive. Katsuhisa Izaki was brought to Takahagi police station by car, where investigators warmed him and offered him food. Requesting tempura soba, the station dining room had no soba noodles that day. Instead, Izaki was given eggs and tempura udon. Izaki ate for a while, including donuts and milk. Having the water defense warehouse used to hold Katsuhisa Izaki in their jurisdiction, Osaka Prefectural Police were notified of the president's escape before Hyogo Police, who, on their own side, felt a claim to the case as the abduction had taken place in their own jurisdiction. A long-standing rivalry between the neighboring prefectures is exampled by the fact that during their first 24 hours of investigation on the Izaki property, Hyogo police had learned of the Yukimi lanterns in the garden being turned off during the abduction, and Mikiko Izaki's account of the lanterns losing power two days prior. The power source was found to have been pulled from the ground and sabotaged. 
This was something that had to have been done with considerable force, and was no coincidence. This fact was not relayed to Osaka police initially. A division between police forces had taken root, prolonging what now seemed to be two investigations of the same case. Katsuhisa Izaki himself even remarked that the same question was frequently asked twice by investigators. The Osaka Prefectural Police interviewed Katsuhisa for about 40 minutes, with Hyogo Prefectural Police watching over for the second half. Katsuhisa was not entirely forthcoming about his abduction, and seemed reserved. When asked about what happened, he only responded by saying he wished to go home, as he was safe and the case was over. He did not wish to recall the incident any further. When questioned, his wife Mikiko stated that Katsuhisa is a shy, quiet person who spends his free time playing golf. Later on the 21st of March, 1984, the press agreement was lifted, allowing reporters to flood the media with headlines of the abduction and the recovery of the candy company president. Read in part, an article published on March 21st, 1984, reads, Headline Kidnapped Executive Escapes Tokyo A Japanese candy tycoon who was kidnapped from his bath broke his bonds Wednesday and escaped from a vacant building where gunmen had held him for nearly $6 million in cash and gold, the largest ransom ever asked in Japan. Katsuhisa Izaki, 42, made his break before daylight when his abductors left him unattended in a riverside building in Osaka, Japan's second largest city, police said. They said the executive worked loose of the ropes that bound him, kicked down a door, and fled into the streets, ending 65 hours in captivity. Two railway employees helped him to telephone authorities and his wife. Quote, I have escaped, Izaki told his wife in an emotional telephone call. During his ordeal, Izaki told police his head was covered with a bag and he was fed juice and crackers. The kidnappers told him they were also holding his 8-year-old daughter, which was untrue. Izaki said the abductors, who brandished what he believed were toy weapons, provided him with the cotton shirt and dark blue jogging suit in which he was found. He was barefoot and his face was scratched, but he was otherwise unharmed, a police spokesman said. News reports indicated there was no payment made on the unprecedented ransom demand for 1 billion yen, worth $4.5 million. The kidnappers also asked for 100 kilograms, or 220 pounds of gold, worth about $1.28 million at current prices. Katsuhisa Izaki spoke at a press conference at Izaki Glico headquarters in Nishiyotagawa, Osaka, at 10.30pm that same evening. On behalf of the Hyogo Prefectural Police Press Club, Tetsumi Doya, company secretary of the newspaper Asahi, was the question leader. Katsuhisa answered questions and spoke with a humble, yet depressed mood. Question. What is your present condition? Answer. I am relieved. Thanks to you, I have returned safely. Question. What was the situation that allowed you to run away? Answer. My guards left, so I took off the ropes from both hands and ran away. Question. Do you have any knowledge of the background of why this crime happened? Answer. I have no idea. I have not exchanged words with the criminal. I did not ask, but I thought that the purpose was money. Question. Mr. Izaki. Do you have any idea who may have committed this crime? Answer. I have no idea. Question. Did you get to see their face? Answer. 
服目してましたから全くわかりません。So I didn't get to see their face. Question. So you didn't get to see their face without the mask at all? Answer. I didn't see their face. Katsuhisa went on to describe what happened by saying. Sunday night around 9 p.m., they just came in my house all of a sudden. They put me in a car that was parked right outside my house, and they put something on my head so I couldn't see anything. Then they took me to this little shack. When pressed further, Katsuhisa stated, I do not want to remember much. Ending the conference, Katsuhisa said, I'm just very relieved. I'd like to thank everyone for caring and being worried about me. I'm back here, unharmed, because of all of you. Thank you so much. Anything beyond that, no matter how much reporters asked, he did not answer. Why did the criminals leave their hostage alone to escape if he was their ticket to the ransom money? Was it possible that Glico had secretly paid the criminals? In regards to Katsuhisa Yazaki's escape from the warehouse through the use of a hidden door, investigators believed it would have been quite difficult to loosen the corroded nut and bolt the way Katsuhisa claimed. Katsuhisa also did not know of the door's existence until he happened upon it while kicking the walls looking for an escape route. And happening upon a light leak leading to its discovery. The possibility of an overlap in these coincidences led investigators to question the legitimacy of Katsuhisa's claims. Had Izaki been informed of the door's existence? Had the door been left open enough to leak light on purpose? Had the nut and bolt been placed in a fashion aiding in its removal? Katsuhisa himself also indicated that before his abandonment, his handcuffs were replaced with a loosely tied rope. In addition, the criminals dressed Izaki in new clothes the day before his escape. Was this a sign they never intended to return and that the escape was intended? The opinion that the criminal group tolerated the escape was strong within the investigation headquarters. It had taken the criminals six minutes to pull off their abduction of a full grown man with the ability to navigate the Izaki home with ease. If they were after money, why not kidnap his elderly mother? Why take an adult at all? A child would be easier to restrain, transport, and hide until ransom demands could be met. When the criminals attacked the mother and daughter, one of them called the eldest daughter, Mariko, by her name. The criminal also replied to Makiko Izaki that, quote, money is irrelevant, leading to strong thinking that a grudge against Katsuhisa, his family, or Glico in general, was the motive. In addition, Katsuhisa Izaki had a habit of taking a bath Sundays from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock in the evening. Therefore, the investigators were more inclined to the theory that those responsible were familiar with the internal circumstances of the Izaki family. Although there was a request for ransom from the criminal, the request was a tremendous amount of cash and 100 kilograms of gold, and no one came to pick it up. Was the real gold money or Katsuhisa? 
next time on The Monster with 21 Faces. How dare you break our promise and run away from us? My people are really mad at you. Some people are telling me to kill your daughter as promised. There are also people telling me to abduct you again and wash your face with some hydrochloric acid. There are also people telling me to just blow up your entire house with dynamite. There are also people telling me to abduct your wife, use her like a toy, and kill her. I'm the only one that's stopping my people from acting on these things. I'm giving you one more chance. If you betray us again, the six of you are only living until you're killed by us. You should start making arrangements for your grave. We will never be caught by the police. This production was brought to you by The Dark. Sound design, score, and letter readings were done by Austin Michael Riley. Narration, research, and information compilation was done by Michael Wellborn. Our executive producer is Nick White. The events in this program are true and took place between 1984 and 1985 in Japan. This presentation of the case provides a timeline of the facts as accurately as possible. The letters by the Monster with 21 Faces criminal group are read in as much entirety as possible with the resources available at the time of making this. The letters, news articles, and information were compiled from various books, websites, videos, and articles. No copyright infringement is intended. A list of sources can be found at themonsterwith21faces.com, as well as a video and photo archive of the case. Apologies for any mispronunciations, errors, or omissions. With the help of listeners like you, this may be corrected. If you have any new or useful information, please send it to us at 21monsterfaces at gmail.com. That's the number 21 monsterfaces at gmail.com. This project is the product of intrigue and research over nearly 15 years. It is provided for your curiosity at no cost. Though, if you appreciate the work, a donation is welcome and can be given at themonsterwith21faces.com. For more art by The Dark, visit us at darkart.com. That's D-A-R-Q-Art.com.